It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 and welcome back to the Ambiguously Blind Studio. We're here with the series of question and answers that we've been doing. This is number three in the series with my co-host, the incredible Aaron. Greetings, Aaron. Hey, hey. Nice. <laughs> Glad to have you back in the studio. You've been doing a fine job of curating these questions and uh, moderating the discussion. I've gotten some interesting feedback from some people that, that have been listening, apparently. So um, these are the highest rated podcast episodes we've done thus far. So I attribute all that to you. Glad I could help. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. It's been fun. I think so too. Yeah. I said interesting comments. That's interesting. Good, bad. Yeah, I won't get into the de details, but they've generally been good, yes. <laughs> You've had bad? You haven't had any We bad. won't get into the details. They've been generally good. Who could say anything? Most of the details are that are bad are about about your humble correspondent right here <laughs> and how nasally he sounds or just not interesting. They're more interested in you and Aaron. I doubt that. No, uh, that's correct. They're more <laughs> interested in Aaron than John. But this is John's podcast, so you're stuck with John. But you might have Aaron along with the ride for the uh, foreseeable future. I don't know. We're doing pretty well with this. The last time we stopped, we had a question. Well, maybe we should back up a little bit. What what did we, how did we end the previous episode on this? We were talking about basically you telling me your story of how you got sick when we were dating and then me just giving some of my feedback on that and. Oh, I think it's an amazing, miraculous story. Where were we in the dating process when we left off? Were we married yet? No. In our last podcast? Yeah. No. We were not married. We were newly dating. When you told me that, I think we had been out on... Three or four dates, maybe. I hadn't asked any questions about it. I was kind of waiting for you to bring it up because we were newly dating, so I didn't know. Yeah, I kind of feel like a lot of people are that way or are maybe nervous or apprehensive to ask questions about that type of stuff with me. And just to set the record clear, you shouldn't feel that way. But I understand why uh, most people do. And I, I want to say that did that conversation happen at a Mexican, another Mexican restaurant? Abuelos. Yes, Abuelos. Uh, abuelo, yeah, Abuelos. Grandpa's. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a good restaurant. Yeah, it is a good restaurant. Sour cream chicken enchiladas are pretty good there. Oh, it's got a salad. I forget what the name of the salad was, but it was delicious. Yeah, it's a pretty good place. But yeah, it happened there. I remember that, yes. That was a good discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was more, 
not fearful, but I didn't want you to think that your vision loss was something that like made me nervous. Maybe nervous isn't the right thing, but it was like an, an issue for me, I guess. Maybe that's why I was kind of. Yeah, that's a valid. Because it was not, obviously, but. It's a valid perspective, but it would be, you know, especially in the, in a relationship, it would be something you'd want to talk about, which is why, which is why I brought it up. Yeah, but we were not, I mean, our dating, I mean, when I say our third or fourth date, they were not back to back to back. I mean, there was a good, you know, maybe a week or so that would go. Well, sure. I mean, I think we were both seeing other people at the same time anyway. I was not. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion, oh. apparently. <laughs> okay, scratch that. Let's edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. So I just, you know, it wasn't, not that I wasn't comfortable, but I just was kind of waiting for you to. Yeah, and I, I feel like people are oftentimes uncomfortable to bring up those types of things, and I, I wish they weren't. Because there are occasions where I, I wish we had covered something before it becomes, um, you know, like we have to, I don't know, it's not, there, there are occasions where I wish we had talked about something before I got in a situation where I had to talk about it, kind of yeah. like, well, proactive, I guess. And it wasn't uncomfortable for me. I didn't know how sensitive you were. About talking about it. The question that we left off with was from Jeff, who, who asked a few questions. Mm-hmm. And it was about, what was the question? What advice would you give 17-year-old John if you only had 15 minutes? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. And... I, I mentioned that 17-year-old John Grimes was quite quite a character. And still are quite a character. Yeah, but it was he was more so of a character at 17 than he is than he, than it would be today. I'd like to see old no, 17-year-old John. I don't think you would. Maybe <laughs> ask some people that knew 17-year-old John, but the the question about advice that you would give I would give him if I only had 15 minutes I don't think um if I had 17 year old John wouldn't sit still for 15 minutes so I kind of think about there's a a movie back to the future you familiar with that movie yes there was a few of them three of them I think and then I think it's the second one old Biff goes back in the time machine to find young Biff and give him the uh, sports almanac. Do you remember that at all? Vaguely. And I kind of think of myself as Biff. And if, if an old guy is coming back and telling me, you know, things to do or not do, um, I would, Biff's like, Young Biff is like, just get out of here. And he actually, he, the line, which is, you know, kind of a funny thing, he says, make like a tree and get out of here, is what young Biff says. 
But he's got it wrong because the saying is make like a tree and leave, mm-hmm. you know. But old Biff gives him, he's like, man, get get it right. It's make like a tree. Anyway, so <laughs> I, f- I feel like I would be like young Biff where I would not give old John the time of day or have anything to do with him. But what I, what I would try to probably say would be something along the lines of, if I, I mean, if I had a sports almanac, that'd be wonderful because then money would really be no issue. But assuming that's not the case <laughs> and it's not a movie, probably something along the lines of just have fun because you never know when things are going to, things are going to change. And Don't be afraid to stick your neck out there and, and do something that may make you a little uncomfortable. Just go for it. Just do it. Would probably be the gist of the 30 seconds that I would have with 17-year-old John before he had nothing to do with me. It's trap him to a chair. No, it wouldn't work either. Especially in today's age. Yeah. Sent to prison for that. Sued. So I'll, I'll also flip the question back on, on you. What would you tell seventeen-year-old Aaron? Gosh, I think I would tell myself to be more confident. Be confident in who you are. Kind of like you said, just. Stick your neck out and don't be afraid to try things. Get out of your comfort zone. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. I feel like I was so... I mean, I didn't have a lot of life experiences. I don't know how many 17-year-olds do, but... No, I'm, I was the same way. That That's something that I think... Is true for me too. I didn't, I had really no adversity in my life whatsoever. I mean, my adversity was very trivial. Right. So my life experience was, although it seemed to me at the time, just everything was, everything was great at 17, but the, the adversity that I was, had had was very trivial, nothing that would matter at all. So I, I, I didn't, not, not that I needed to know what was coming, but you know, I just didn't know what laid ahead in life. I mean, most nobody does of course, but right. um, I didn't have a, a track record of dealing with adversity. Right. And that, that definitely makes people stronger. Right. uh, The earlier, not that I'd, I wish adversity on anybody, of course, but that certainly is a character-building thing that happens. And uh, for some people, it happens earlier. Some people, it happens later. Right. Yeah, I'd say just get out of my comfort zone. And I was always afraid to tell people no. Like I was always like, sure, you know. Just, I'd always say yes to everything. It's okay to say no. 
And then just when it came to dating, I kind of looked back on some relationships and I just was taken advantage of and I was not a priority. I made excuses for them. So as a teenage girl, and then looking back at it now that I'm 41, I would have now would not have been afraid to tell them what was on my mind and just, you know, respect myself more when it came to those kind of things. Would not have stayed in the relationship as long as I had because I was afraid to, you know, say anything or... You know, just give my opinion on things, and it should not be that way. You should be able to say what you want to say and speak your opinion and not be afraid of what that person is going to say. Or So I would I would change that. I think I would probably also, I just thought of this. I'd say don't be afraid to date an Aggie. <laughs> We're good people. <laughs> That's true, but I don't know that I understood that back at that time. At the time. Yeah. Just, you know, being a mom now and I want to raise strong, independent children. So, and I got better as relationships went on. I had a saying. My dad would always say, did you kick that one to the curb? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I sure did. So, I got better as I, not that I dated a lot, but, you know, I just... I gave the, I gave them the benefit of the doubt too much, and made up, ex, you know, made up excuses. Well, he's working late, or you know, and that's just not the way that it is. Because that's not how it was with you. You made me a priority from the very beginning, and let me know that I was important, and there were no excuses. It was just easy. Where the other relationships were not easy, at all. How many times did your dad ask if you took me to the curb? <laughs> I think they very quickly realized that our relationship was very different than any other relationship that I'd been in. Again, not that there had been many, but there had been enough to, you know, I wasn't complaining. I wasn't upset. I wasn't. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, they were probably thinking, oh, she's making excuses for this person. Ugh. They were probably hoping that I'd kick them to the car, but not you, but everybody else. But I think just like I did, I realized very quickly that you were different from everybody else. So, and I think, you know, I mean, you're talking about adversity and, you know, learning from those experiences. Uh, you learn from every experience and those relationships for me, I very quickly learned what I wanted in a relationship and a person and what I didn't. So I took away from those experiences and it led me to you. You got it right. I am different. <laughs> That's that is for sure. <laughs> for sure. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's move on now to more questions. What do you got? What else you got? Okay, this goes back to college. Did you ever want to give up on college? This uh, is from your friend Kelly. 
When you got back to being healthy, did you think it would be too hard to catch up and continue? I really didn't. And I don't remember much thought about that. And that that is a testament to my family, mostly my parents, who, I don't know, I, it, no, I didn't ever feel like, to, to backtrack a little bit, I left school in February of a night of my sophomore year, so the like almost the middle part of the the spring semester, and even even with that, I was probably taking four or five classes, and I had unenrolled from all of them, all of them except one. I think it was political science and I did political science from, from home and, um, with my, my mom, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I w- it was quite an experience. I, I remember not being real excited about, about those <laughs> times of doing schoolwork, but I finished that class that spring. That was the only one that I completed. And remarkably, I passed. What was what was going on was it was a it was a completely new way of learning. I I think I was most I think I was kind of an audio, audible learner to begin with, just from what I can remember. I've always been much more in tune to hearing. I think, and I would I would absorb more listening to things than seeing them. And that's not to say I didn't absorb things by by sight but i felt like the transition was not as dramatic as i as as maybe one may think it would be and it i don't know i just i wasn't ever in a situation where i didn't think i could do it uh i questioned how i was going to do it lots of times but i always knew that that i could do what i was trying to do and mostly in as it pertains to schoolwork and stuff at this time so my my parents kept me moving, kept me um, on a pretty steady pace uh, moving forward. There were setbacks, lots of them, and during that time period, um, health-wise and just with schooling and logistics and all, all manner of different things that, that happened. But between the, the months of March and August of that year, I went into a cocoon and came out as a <laughs> as a butterfly, I guess. I don't, um, now, to, when to you're re- to return to school in in August. So, when your parents, when you went back, you said your parents kept you on a pace. On pace, was that from afar, or did they drop you off and stay for a, a few weeks, or did they just drop you off and go? Um, no, they pretty much dropped me off and go. When I, when I said a, a pace, I mean with most of that was with physical rehabilitation and stuff because there was quite a bit of that that happened. I think we've talked about it a, maybe a little bit before, but from a physical standpoint, my, I was a, I was a mess. I, my physically, I was having trouble walking and talking and swallowing and Cognitively, I was I was okay, but physically, I had a lot of work to do. So 
The great thing was is that I was um, 19 at the time, so the 19-year-old body adjusts much quicker than, than, than later in life. But there was, a, I mean, I did a lot of uh, physical therapy. I did that, I don't remember exactly, but at least three to five days a week where I was going to a um, outpatient location and doing stuff like just riding treadmills and work walking on balance beams and doing just tasks and things for mostly a lot of motor skills, but also um, hand-eye coordination and things like that. So when I say they kept me on pace, um, I mean, there were definitely times where I did not want to go to that. And it was, it was tiring and overwhelming and exhausting and just, just not, you know, nothing that I really had ever encountered. So there were lots of opportunities for me to second guess that type of treatment and what, what I was actually doing, but they kept me pretty well in line and, and kept Kept me, kept, I had my eyes on the ball the whole time. Well, they had to because they, I mean, that was a tough, tough situation to be in. So if they weren't, if they weren't there helping you and making you go, then, you know, that's not, they wanted you back on your feet as soon as possible. Sure. Yeah. Because they knew that there were going to be some challenges with your vision loss. So they wanted to get you as healthy and moving as yeah. soon as possible. Yeah, and as a parent, I understand that quite a bit more. Right. Now than I that I did it obviously at the time even, but um it it was definitely the exact exactly what I needed. And it's not like they were drill sergeants and it was a boot no. camp kind of thing. It wasn't like that at all, but it was you know, there there were times where I just I was I was done with stuff. I just didn't want to do things and I was tired and I was frustrated with why I'm wearing. Um, I, I can remember one time in particular where I was going to this rehab place and I was working with on walk, walking, which is you know, something we learn when we're 12 months old. And I was wearing this thing. It's called a gate belt yeah. and it's a belt mm-hmm. goes around the waist and there's somebody, you know, I was using it in the hospital. They would walk with me and somebody would stand on each side of me and hold the belt so I didn't fall over. And that was, you know, crazy. I don't, I don't know why. It, I mean, I understood why it had to happen, but I didn't know. It seemed, it seemed foolish to me that, this, that I was doing this. And after I got in my walking down, I can remember being in rehab this one particular day. And the, the uh, therapist said, we're going to go outside. And we're going to walk in the grass. We've been walking on carpet, sidewalks, you know, solid surfaces. But now we're going to walk in the grass. And I said, okay, yeah, whatever. That's that's fine. No big deal. And I remember walking on from the sidewalk into the grass outside of this facility. And I took about two or three steps and I was on my face. Oh. Because the... The ground is not even everywhere you go, you know? And so I had some balance issues internally with 
just balance. And that was the, the exercise was walking on uneven surfaces. And I, I was very confident in my abilities to, you know, I was like, okay, let's, you know, we'll, we'll do this, knock this off and cross it off the list. But it took a little while to work on that. And so at an age 19, who was two months ago, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, this was something that would be completely ridiculous to even consider that this would be an issue. So um, I, I remember that clearly, but that, that episode. Yeah. So it was things like that where I would have those kind of things happen and I'd get extremely frustrated. Right. That's probably the word. Yeah. I think anyone would. Like you said, you were two months ago running around and soccer and just a normal 19-year-old. And and that was even, that's really even before you throw the vision stuff in. This was just mostly physical rehabilitation. Right. So the vision stuff was a, another layer on top of that. And I, I don't know. I never really felt like, it's not that I didn't want to be around my family or anything, but I just didn't, I just wanted to get back to where I was. Right. I guess is, is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. So I wanted to get back to school. I wanted to get back with my friends. I wanted to get back in, in that groove again, but there were so many elements of life that were going to be a lot different that I, I really needed to get squared away before I could do that. So when I went back in August of that, that year, so it was roughly well, it was less than six months from, or about, I guess about six months from the actual beginning of the illness to the time I was back in school. That, that was my objective was, was to get back. Yeah. Well, sure. That kept you going motivated and six months with what you went through. I mean, I know it was not a short time for you or your parents no, because there was a, there was a really lot of things that that happened, and when I got back to school, I was in a new new living environment as well. Mm-hmm. So adjusting to different living, I had a different. I had two roommates before and after, but one of them was a different person. So just adjusting to different people. And I, I, all of it was a good environment for me to be in, mm-hmm. but at, at the, at the, uh, I wasn't driving. Right. So that was quite a bit different. And we were living several, we, we, we were living driving distance from school, not walking distance. So there was just a lot of getting to, to understand how, how that was. My, my, my roommates were great with that, but it was just understanding the, the timing and the logistics of me moving and where I was going and where I needed to be and finding, you know, actually finding my, the classrooms and, um, you know, I got to know my professors a lot better. Yeah. Um, I had to basically meet with, with all of them up front to begin with to let them know what my situation was. And prior to that, I probably hadn't had very few interactions with my, the actual professors uh, you know, just whatever a normal student would have. So mm-hmm. I got to know the teachers 
much, much better. Yeah. The first fall semester I went back, I think I probably rolled in, enrolled in four classes. And one of them was English, which I remember not particularly being a good, a good fit for, for me. Because <laughs> it, it was a lot of reading. And I was still adapting to how I was going to read. And I was learning right. a lot of adaptive technology, which I had done before I went back to school. Software and computers and things that had been done. You know, what actually one of the things that I had to relearn was typing. I've always been really good on the computer. But prior to vision loss, when it came to typing... I used kind of the hunt and peck method. If really? anybody remembers that. Really? Yeah, I didn't have it. This may sound familiar to you, but a lot of times in school, I didn't have, I, I, I didn't have enough time to, to do what the teachers were asking. I just kind of rushed through things. And I even took keyboarding class in high school. I think it's funny you married a teacher. And in keyboarding class, I would look at the keys. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just did. And so now put me in a situation where, again, I like computers. I'm good on computers. I excel in all of the computer classes I took in, in high school. I was, I was very good. But I looked at the keys when I typed. And I don't know, maybe most people did. Maybe, I don't know, maybe most people didn't. But now I'm in a situation where I'm really good with computers, but now I can't see what I'm typing because I relied on vision for keys. And so I that that summer where I was home, that's one of the things that happened was I took a keyboarding class. And I can remember when I was there they 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 had a like a cardboard cover thing that they 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 wanted to put over my keys. I was like <laughs> you, don't you don't need to. You don't need to. It doesn't matter. And so but I learned it very quickly. I mean, I knew the keys anyway, but I never knew them like that because I needed to. So it, it came naturally, but that was one of the things that I, I had to do that summer was learn, learn the keys. And I did, and I obviously still do. So when I, I can remember sitting in the, the English class and I had a tremendous amount of anxiety. Tremendous. Yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine. Anxiety being in, in the classes. Yeah. And just trying to understand how it was going to work. Not a question of this isn't going to work. I was always under the the premise of this'll work, but I gotta figure out. I need to understand how this is how this is going to work. So I can remember sitting in the English class being extremely apprehensive about really anything and, and trying to figure out there, you know, there was a list of books and things. And this was really before there were books on tape, things like that. But this is really this is way before any kind of digital books. So there were some resources available that I was exploring and, and just getting to know with some organizations that I was becoming familiar with, of which the primary was the Texas Commission for the Blind, 
uh, it's changed its name a few times since then, but that's what it was called back in those days. And so they did, they, they had programs available where things could be recorded or put in braille or other adaptive measures could be, could be done. But at the time where I'm basically thrust back into school, I wasn't really prepared for, for that. So I ended up dropping the English class and I, I think I, I think I took two, I think I ended up with two or three credits, two or three classes that, that fall semester. Yeah. Four and is I, a lot. And it, well, four is normal though. I mean, 12 right. hours, four classes. Right. But under your circumstances going back, that's a lot. Yeah. It, in, in retrospect, it was. And I think the, the following spring semester, I think I did the same thing. I took maybe two or three. I think I just, I didn't drop any classes. I think I was better equipped to know what I could handle. So I think I took two or three classes that spring semester. So during the spring, fall, and following spring, so about a year and a half of college or school life, I want to say I I probably finished five classes so for a total of about 15 hours which normally you know a normal student would take 12 hours every semester so you know 24 or so per year without summer school and so during that year and a half period I think I want to say I completed about 15 hours and so that that set me back of course in my my timing of school and I after the spring semester of that following year is when I really got into started getting into a rhythm and finished. Um, I finished school in five, a total of five years with a summer, one summer semester. So like five years and the first session of that summer school. So what should have taken four took me a little just a smidge over five. Um, but this would be like my, probably my last two semesters, I was taking 18 hours or, or so to get caught up on that stuff. But, but I did, and I, I don't, I just did it. I, I can't tell you how it just happened. Had a lot of help, a lot of very, the, the professors were great. Had a lot of good friends. The Texas Commission for the Blind assisted in, in lots of um, ways with, converting text to speech and with software and even helping me get some of my, my friends to assist me with um, reading things and, and kind of like with tutors and not really tutors as much as just kind of, I mean, I, I had to adjust to different, all kinds of different ways of doing things, but all my tests going forward were all done. Like I didn't take my tests with the, the class. Because that you know the te- you walk in you get your scantron or whatever and you take your test or you write the answers or whatever, so all my tests were done in a in a testing facility and they were all done with a with an orator, so they were all read to me. Wow. So it was it was a unique thing working in that type of an environment where um, it's kind of like where you might look at a question on your on a on your test 
And you, just by sitting there, you may read the question a few times to understand it. Right. And you may look at the answers. And But for somebody that's not looking at the question or the answers, it seems kind of weird to ask somebody, another human, say, okay, repeat that question again. Repeat that question again. What are the answers? Tell me what the choices are. What was B? What was C? You know, so it was... It was, and, and the, the person that was, was doing that was used to that type of thing too. So I don't think it was a major thing for them, but for me, it was a, a, an adjustment to getting used to testing or, or, or learning in that type of environment. So, um, I've gotten probably way off course, way off track from the question. It was something about college and what, what was the question? How did, how far did off am I? Oh, no, not at all. Did you ever want to give up on college? When you got back to being healthy, did you think it would be too hard to catch up? Yeah, I never really wanted to give up because I, I wanted, it was something I wanted to do and wanted to complete and accomplish. So it certainly was a tremendous amount different than anything I had been accustomed to. But I, I feel like what the thing that was in my favor was I was, primarily learned through listening. So I think that made it easier for me to rely on that as my primary source. So that seemed to make it easier. But no, I mean, I'm sure I wanted to give up. I'm sure there were times where things were very frustrating and tough because that I know that happened, but I seem to block those out of my memory and and just try to remember the the good things. So we made it. And I say we because it was a team effort. With me, my family, um, all the professors, the the test orators, and the counselors, and and my friends, and all the people that assisted me. Because at that point, it was a it was a team effort. It wasn't just me anymore. Right. How has your perspective on life changed since your loss of vision on your friend Rob? That's a good question. Perspective on life changed. Well, I don't know if I can identify with vision loss because as, as we age, life perspectives change in general. It certainly made me think about things from a different, a, a different or abnormal Point of view it's not a it's not normal so i i tend to look at things probably from a different angle and i say look kind of in in a figurative sense i guess um when i say look at things so it i think it's made me slow down and appreciate the subtleties of things and some nuance and differences about how things operate and how things should and and can operate and look at more of the big picture kind of things with as it pertains to vision loss that that's kind of the answer but as it just pertains to life and aging and to go through an experience where life could be could be over in an instant. So in that regard, it's, it's made 
lots of differences. Uh, one of the things that I think about recently is the last time I did something, whatever that may be, I, I tend to recently be thinking about those types of things, like well, the last time I was someplace, wherever that place is. You don't really think about in the moment, this might be the last time I'm ever I'm right. at this particular place. And for whatever reason, it's not. So, I mean, I can remember, I can remember hugging um, my grandfather for the last time and didn't think that that would be the last time that yeah. that ever happened. Yeah. So things like that, where you're in a moment that seems relatively common or normal but after a period of time passes you realize that that wasn't normal that was the last time I just did whatever whatever that was and I think with age that's gotten more relevant in my to me but with the the vision loss and the the understanding of how quickly something can change with right. the, the illness that happened with me. I think I have given the, the last time a lot more consideration than maybe most. Yeah. And I think as you get older, you, I don't know, you, you appreciate those moments more. I mean, even the little moments, I mean, now that we're parents, I, I'm super sensitive to those kinds of things of never know when life is going to change. And I remember, like you just said, hugging your grandfather. I remember hugging Nana the last time and thinking the same thing, that this could be the last time that I hug her and see her. So as you get older, yeah, you're... Hopefully, your perspectives change on things. You appreciate even little things. I say that to your dad all the time because he jokes around, and I'm like, it's the little things, Doug. What does he say? <laughs> sure is. <laughs> you know, he agrees. Because <laughs> it is. I mean, it's the little things. I well, think he, he, he was would... fixing He was fixing something in the house, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Just those little things that just, you know, just like, oh, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, he would know. <laughs> He's older than us, so he would know He would know better. I would think with age, you understand that better. Right. Well, like you said, when you're, you're younger, you just don't think about those things. You Not live in the moment, and you just, you think you're going to wake up the next day, and... No, you, you know, know you're going to wake up the next day, and everything that's is... That's true. You're just... just Another day and, and everything's going to be normal and, you know, and then as you get older, you just, especially, you know, I, even just when I was single and I was an adult in my late 20s or 30s, you know, it was just me. I didn't have to, I had to worry about me and that was it. And to me, that wasn't, that's not a big deal. But. The second that you and I married, got married, it's not just me anymore that I'm worrying about or taking care of. It's 
this other person that I love and is now a part of my life. And, you know, it just, your life changes. And then if you, you know, you get married and then you have kids and having kids is just, oh my gosh, changes everything. Yeah. I don't know that I recommend that. Having children, but that's for a separate, that's a separate podcast all by itself. Isn't there a question about something about our wedding? Wasn't there a question about that that we got? Yes, from my friend Amanda. While we're on the topic of wedding, <laughs> what was that question? Uh, she says she's just curious about this. She said, since I was in your wedding, what was that moment like for you when your bride walked down the aisle? She was in her wedding. I remember that. And I suppose I'm supposed to come up with some really good <laughs> synopsis here of what this moment was like. It was a surreal moment without question. And it was, you know, probably the the best day up, up to that point in my life, probably the most exciting and best day of my life. You know, we've had some things happen since that would you know, rival that day, I think you would agree with that. So, um, all that aside, yeah, it was pretty incredible, but I I assume she's asking from the, from the visual perspective of that. And what was, I think really interesting for me or what really was really cool for me was I had a, um, once again, a family member that was standing directly next to me at this wedding and my brother Brad, my little brother Brad, that is, because my big brother Brad was there too. But as the the doors fly open and you and your dad start to make your way down the aisle, my brother is giving me a step-by-step or play-by-play account of everything that's happening and the look on your face and the tears in your dad's eyes. And, and in your eyes, of oh, course, too. She's crying. Oh, yeah. she's still crying. I've, I can't tell if those are happy or sad <laughs> tears, but she's crying. Oh, she's still crying. She she looks incredible. She's beautiful. <laughs> this is awesome. So you know, I was getting. He's he's standing next to me, giving me all those details. So, um, that certainly made it. Now, know, had my, y'all planned that, no. or did he just start? See, that's the cool thing. Brad's so good. Yeah. He's good. So it really was a, um, the, the fact that my, my vision was what it, what it was, didn't, you know, that, that helped fill in a lot of the details of things that, that I wasn't picking up on necessarily until you were within, you know, a few feet of me. Yeah. But I was waiting for him to say, she turned around. (laughs) She's running. <laughs> you knew I, that wouldn't happen. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my I was, gosh! I was, that that was in certainly in the back of my mind. So. Oh my gosh! No, it was not. But you didn't run back down the aisle, so I was relieved to know that, and the wedding went off without a hitch for the most part. For the most part. I mean, we almost, you know, forgot the ring or miss miss with this wing. With this wing, I the wed. <laughs> you and did say that. I did, and of course the um, the minister had a hard time finding the ring. We had the ring, but I think he 
didn't he have a hard time? Oh, he gave. I think he gave. He gave me the wrong. Are you the wrong? Yeah, he gave one of us the wrong. I think he gave me my ring to put yeah, on Yeah, to you. put on my finger, and we were both like, what? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. But it, other than, I mean, that was pretty minor. Those are minor things, the, yeah. Big, big, big picture, so. But you joke about me running out of the church. I am, knew. Am it, I joking? I knew it three months that. I was going to marry you. Three months. I never said that. And I remember my brother telling me that about when he was dating my sister-in-law, now sister-in-law. I remember him telling me, you may not want me saying this either, but I remember him calling me and saying that he was going to marry her. Like, y'all been dating for three months. (laughs) You don't know that. And then... Like, yeah, I do. You just, you know, and you know. And then I was like, no, you don't. Because I was, you know. You didn't know at that time. I and, didn't and know. As far as he knows, just tell him we'll 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 take this out of the recording. <laughs> but you do know. I knew it three months. And I remember my dad, I was visiting them in San Antonio. And. He was asking if you'd kick me to the curb yet. No. He and I had gone somewhere, run some errands. And we're on our way back to the house, and he said, so you and John are pretty serious. Seems think, seems like things are going well. And I'm driving. I guess we were in my car. And I just look over at him, and I said, yeah, I'm going to marry him. And the look on his face. <laughs> it's one of those just priceless moments. He's like, Okay. It, 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 you know, in his mind, he's probably thinking, yeah. She's crazy. No, she, she probably will. She probably isn't going to marry him because she's never, ever said that about anyone before. That was the first time I'd ever said that. And he was probably thinking, yeah, she's going to marry him. And you say this was about three months? That conversation, no, was probably later. I knew at three months mm-hmm. that I was going to marry you. I don't think I divulged that information to anyone. I think I kept that to myself. How long did we date? Oh, gosh. We started dating in... Like, it was in June, June or so. or July of 2009. And then we were married in October of 11. But we were engaged, I think, for eight months. I think. Around, I used to know that, and then yeah, too many things have happened. Too you know. much stuff. I do happened. remember the engagement. That was a really good engagement. It's fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had no clue, no clue. I was hoping because I had a friend. All I could think about was my one of my close friends who was also in the wedding. She got engaged the same weekend that we did, yes, and did. I knew that she did not. But I knew that that was happening, and I kept talking about, Catherine's getting engaged this weekend. How exciting is that? Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy for her. That's all I was thinking about. Well, not all I was thinking about, but, you know. That's so maybe a, that was a good cover. That's a, good, a big moment. Yeah. And little did I know. You were getting engaged that weekend. Actually, before her. Before her. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. Fun times. So, no, I was not going to run. You're stuck with me. And to fill in just a little bit more detail, it was on a ice rink downtown. Mm-hmm. Chicago. Yep. That was our first trip together as a couple to Chicago. And we had a great time. We were there with your best friend, Chris. It was cold. It was so cold. But I think you like that. I love the cold. Yeah. I don't. I'm the only one in my family from Texas. So everyone else is from up north. They're done with it. They're done with it. And I love it. So, yeah, it was such a fun trip. It just, I don't know, it's a great time. And I think we went back. Was the second time we got we went back? Did we got engaged, or had we gone another time? I think it was our second trip to Chicago. Trying to remember, yeah, it was our yeah, it was our second trip. But again, I thought Chris was going to be there. It was supposed to be another one of those trips. Well, we did have to. Stretch a few things here and there to Cause then, make it make yeah. it a surprise. Because then after we it happened and I we got engaged, I was like, "Oh, and Chris is coming, and we get to tell him." And you're like, "No, <laughs> Chris isn't coming." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, so he was in on it too." Yeah, it was just you and me. <laughs> I didn't want to get anybody else really involved in that. <laughs> I didn't feel like that was necessary. <laughs> funny <laughs> yeah but that was fun it was a lot of fun man you had you did very well with that no clue that that was happening and how you did it too because we were going ice skating and the jokester that you are were out on the rink skating and you fall. Which is very plausible. Which I'm, I'm not a thinking, very good ice skater. I'm thinking, you know, you. Yeah. I mean, I fall too. But you fell. Not as much as me. So I was, you know, when I looked down, you were on your knee and my heart stopped for a second it skipped a beat or two why <laughs> because i thought you were proposing and then you say oh my shoelace came untied or <laughs> yeah my shoestrings came untied and i was like oh okay <laughs> so i just look off like you know because i'm like you know i'm trying to remain cool and not show what i'm thinking and then my heart kind of sank when you said, oh, I'm just tying my, my laces. So I'm just off looking around at everyone else skating. And then I finally look back at you because I guess you were, I thought you were taking a while. And you were there with holding Wh- the ring. Voila, the ring appeared. Voila, yeah. And you didn't answer me. Because I was, <laughs> I had to think about it for no. Because I was so happy. I was crying. I couldn't speak. 
Well, yes, but you know, at, to bring this all back to the ambiguously blind topic, I didn't necessarily know that. <laughs> I mean, you could have been crying because I knew you were crying, but you could have been crying as like, how am I? What have I? What have I just gotten that? myself into? <laughs> how am I going to tell him? Yeah. So if I recall correctly, we we were in the center of the <laughs> rink and we we moved to the railing to the side. Yeah. And when we got there, <laughs> I asked so again. You're like, you haven't answered me. <laughs> I just wanted to be clear what the answer was. To to know how the rest of the day was gonna go. Oh my gosh. And then I finally said yes, and then I remembered that there were, was it Girl Scouts? Yes. There was a troop of Girl Scouts. <laughs> and, you know, little, you know, if they were teenagers, you know, they were like 13, you know, and younger. And so they saw that happen, and they were they skated over and were like, we saw this happen, congratulations. So funny. Yeah. And the um, the scoutmaster or the person yes. in charge took our picture. He did. She did. She did? Yeah. You got a good memory. I just remembered that it was that. But there, there were other people that also witnessed it. And it was, it was relatively busy, the rink that day. Yeah. I don't know. There was, I would guess, at least. 50 people ice skating and I don't know. Yeah. And there were a few people that came up and congratulated, congratulated us. us. Yeah. And then the, the woman from the scout brownies or girl scouts or whatever it was, um, took our picture. Yeah. We should post, we'll, we'll tweet that picture. We'll tweet that along with the, the picture with the carrot top wig and the Jackie moon, Headband. That should be on the on the Twitter too. Alrighty. And I'm sure the next time we do this will be as riveting as this one has been. We have, I think, a lot more questions still to go, so there should be no foreseeable end for this particular series of questions and answers. So I hope if there's anybody that has any additional questions, you can once again email me, John at amblind.com john at a-m-b-l-i-n-d dot com thanks for spending time with the ambiguously blind podcast please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and for a complete transcript of this episode connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com <laughs>